I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this, this time in our service where we open up your word, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts this morning, Lord. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts willing to obey your word. Teach us, O Lord, that we might be conformed to the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there is a heart here today trapped in darkness, Lord, free it from the bonds of darkness and bring that heart into your glorious light. Bring the salvation of Jesus Christ to them. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 as we're continuing our study in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there. And turn to page 142 in the Pew Bible. That's page 142 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you. And that's our gift to you today. Everyone should have a copy of God's Word and be able to use it and read it for their edification. So please take that as our gift to you. A husband and wife were driving down the road one day, and the wife turned over to her husband her husband was driving she was sitting over in the passenger seat and the wife huffed and turned to her husband and said what has happened to us I mean we used to be so close I mean used to when we would go somewhere I would sit right up next to you you'd have your arm around me and the world knew that we were in love and the husband turned to his wife and said well I've not moved I'm right where I've always been. You know, sometimes in our Christian walk, we feel so distant from God. It seems like He's miles away from us, and God says to us, I'm right where I've always been. I haven't moved. You see, the problem for us is that sometimes as we walk with the Lord, in that moment, right when we first come to salvation, it's a wonderful new relationship and, and we're all involved and we're all in and we just can't get enough of God and we, we read His Word and we search the Scriptures because we want to learn more about God. But as time goes on, that first initial excitement of that new relationship with God, it kind of begins to fade. And we allow other people and other things to come into our lives and to draw us away from God. We allow things to draw our allegiance away from God. Moses understood this back when he was 
giving Israel their instructions as he was preparing to die, as he was about to leave the Israelites, and as they were about to go into the land of promise, Moses understood as the people of Israel went into the promised land, as they began to do life in this new land, that they would be tempted to enter into new relationships, relationships with the people around them, relationships that would ultimately divide their allegiance and draw them away from the Lord their God. And so, if you know history, that's exactly what happened. And so Moses, today in our text, he, he sounds warning for the Israelites. He sounds the warning. He tells them to beware, beware, beware of ungodly alliances because, and here's our message today, ungodly alliances corrupt your allegiance to God. Ungodly alliances corrupt your allegiance to God. Ungodly alliances will ultimately draw us away from God. They will divide our allegiance and draw us away from God. So today, as we look at this, I want us to to show you three kinds of alliances. Three kinds of alliances with the ungodly, the unbeliever that can can pull you away from God, can divide your allegiance and draw you away from God. And I hope and pray that you would hear these warnings, that we would all hear these warnings and be on guard and not make such ungodly alliances with the unbelievers. Now remember, again, this is as we're going through, for those who are are here normally, and and, uh, we're going through Deuteronomy, and right now we're looking at specific stipulations. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 26 is an application of the general stipulations, the Ten Commandments that Moses gave to us in chapter 5. Chapters 6 through 11, particularly, are the exposition and the application of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before the Lord your God. It has to do with having that complete allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Scripture. So that's what we are considering today, and we're going to work through it for time's sake. We're just going to work through it instead of reading it all right now. We're just going to work through it and see this as we go. So this is about our allegiance to God, maintaining that complete allegiance to God and having no other God over Yahweh, the God of Scripture. So our text here, it says beware, it's warning us, beware of ungodly alliances. And the first alliance that it warns us against entering is uh, a political alliances with the ungodly. Political alliances with the ungodly, unbelievers. Look there in verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Je- and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. Now, notice what Moses is doing here, and this is something that Moses does all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. He is weaving the gospel right into the, the fabric of, of God's law. 
We need to see this, right? He's saying as, as you're going into the nation and are, are going into the land of promise and, and God delivers these nations to you, right? God saves you from these nations. Don't think it's because of your might and power. It's God who goes before you. God is giving you this land. And we need to just remember that. As we study God's law, and, and I want to bring this back to focus every time that we, we study Deuteronomy, as we focus on God's law, all of this is based upon God's grace. As Christians, we want to live in obedience to God's will, not to win favor with God, but because we have favor with God. God saved us from our sins. He gave us new life in Jesus Christ. And because of the new life God has already given to us, because of the grace He has already shown us, out of appreciation for God's grace, we desire to live in obedience to God's will. So all of this is founded and grounded on God's grace. We love because God first loved us. We never need to lose sight of that. Verse 2, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Again, let's stop right there because there's, there's a, a verse of concern, a verse that a lot of people get to in Scripture and they say, well, what kind of God is that? I mean, God is administering genocide, right? He, he is promoting genocide. He is telling the Israelites, go into this land and completely destroy these nations who are before you. And a lot of people have come to the conclusion that God is an evil, bad God because he is, he is administrating here genocide through the Israelites. But you need to remember something here that, number one, God is the sovereign God of all creation. This is his creation. Those nations are his nations to do with what he wills. But you also need to remember that God is a good, righteous, just God. God is a good, righteous, just God. There is no evil in him. There is no shadow of evil in him whatsoever. So as God is commanding the Israelites to go into the promised land and to annihilate these nations who are before them, he is doing that. He is giving that command out of a heart of righteousness, goodness, and justice. We need to, to go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, when God tells Moses, now Moses, I'm going to paraphrase here a bit, God tells Abraham, not Moses, Abraham, he tells Abraham, now I'm giving you this, this land. I'm giving you the promised land. I'm giving this to you and to your descendants. But now, here's how this is going to work, Abraham. First of all, I'm going to send your descendants over here into Egypt, and they're going to be there for around about 400 years. And they're going to stay there for about 400 years before I bring them out and, and take them into the land of promise and give them the land of promise. And here's the reason that God, God gives for... The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You see, God was storing up judgment, storing up wrath on these evil, wicked, sinful nations. 
The reason God gives the command for the Israelites to completely destroy them is because He is delivering just judgment on evil, wicked nations who had spent their whole, all generations denying God and living in rebellion against a holy God. And so this commandment is a good, righteous commandment. God is using the Israelites to accomplish His judgment. Later on in, in history, He used the Babylonians and the Amorites and the Chaldeans, all of these different nations to, to accomplish His justice in the world. And He continues to do that. So we need to remember that God is a holy, righteous, and just God. He is sovereign over the world. And He administers justice as he sees fit god is not an evil god he is a good righteous god so he tells them you are to devote them you must devote them to complete destruction and notice here here we get to our point you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them you shall make no covenant with them you shall not enter into a political alliance with these nations who would surround you. You see, that would be the temptation that Israel would be under as they go into this new nation. Now, we need to understand, we need to remember here that this is a commandment for a nation. God is establishing the nation of Israel. And they are to go in and set up a political nation under God. Right? It was a, a, a divine nation. God was their ultimate king. And so they were to destroy these and they were not to make political alliances with their pagan, ungodly pagan neighbors around them because, as God shows us here, they, those nations would ultimately draw them away from God. They would draw the nation of Israel away from God and that's ultimately what happened. As Israel set up in, in the promised land, they began to look at their neighbors and said, oh, well, I like the way they've got things. Oh, I like the way they do things. And, and oh, man, why don't, we, why don't we do it like they do it? And, and those other nations, as they began to make these political uh, align, alignments with uh, these other nations, these political allegiances with these other nations, these other nations began to draw their allegiance away from God. Now, we're not Israel, right? The church is not a state. We're not Israel, and America is not the promised land. And so now, how do we take this? How do we understand this? How are we not to make political alliances with, with the ungodly? How are we to apply this to the church now, today? Right? Our, our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is of, of God's kingdom, of heaven, and it will only come to the earth when Christ returns. So how are we to apply this to our setting and our situation now? Well, thank goodness, thank the Lord, that here in America we have the wonderful privilege of the separation of church and state. We have the separation of church and state. Thank goodness that that was put into the Constitution, the First Amendment into the Constitution that there, there was, there's no established religion here in America. There's that separation between church and state. You know, this has uh, always been a, a fundamental of Baptist belief. This is one of those fundamentals that make Baptists Baptists because Baptists have always believed in a separation of church and state. 
In fact, it was the Baptist who told Thomas Jefferson, hey, Thomas Jefferson, you, you need to add this into the Constitution. He didn't come out, uh, along on that on his own. The Baptist said, hey, we need a separation of church and state. We don't need an established religion here in America. We need that separation. And thankfully, Thomas Jefferson listened to them and he wrote that into our Constitution. Now, a lot of people today, they take that amendment as a means to kind of squelch some of our religious liberties. Right? They, they try to take it and, and they look at it as a, a way to keep the church from corrupting the state but that wasn't the that wasn't the intention of it originally the intention of the separation of church and state was to keep the state from corrupting the church because historically speaking every time the church gets in bed with the state the state ultimately corrupts the church every time and so thankfully here in america we have that separation between church and state we don't have established religion and so the state can't corrupt our faith. And we need to hold on to that. We need to maintain that and praise God for it. But also we need to be careful here as we think about making no political allegiances with the ungodly. We also need to be careful here because it's very easy for us to sanctify political parties and politicians. It's very easy for us to sanctify political parties and certain politicians. I've heard people say that Republicans are the Christian party. No, the Republican party is not the Christian party. Uh, there are, today, there are probably a, a majority of Christians in the, the Republican party, maybe. But the Republican Party is not a, the Christian Party, right? There's no such thing as a Christian Party. I can remember a time in my own life when the, Democrat was, the Democratic Party was far more right than they are left, right? There was a time when that was true. And if we continue to go through history, I can promise you the Republican Party is probably going to shift. And what are we going to do then? We need to be careful not to sanctify a certain political party. We don't need to vote for someone just because they're a Republican or just because they're a Democrat. We need to look at the issues. What do they stand for? What's their character like? We need to vote for the person and what they stand for, not what party they belong to. Here in Louisiana, I'm going to tell you, there's some good Democrats who are out there that I would vote for because they stand on biblical principles. I'm thankful for Miss Katrina Jackson right now because she, as a Democrat, just uh, helped to put through one of the best abortion, anti-abortion laws in the state's history. I'm thankful for what she did. I can, I, I, sure, I would disagree with her on some other issues, but hey, I hold with her there, and I'm thankful for her and what she has done on that. There's some Republicans that have done some terrible, awful things, and I would condemn those things. You see, we need to be sure that as we look at a, uh, as a, at a politician, that we don't overly sanctify them. We don't make them out to be a Christian just because they belong to this party or that party. 
We celebrate the righteousness that they do. We celebrate when they do something good and righteous and just. But at the same time, as Christians, as voices of truth in the world, we condemn their evil deeds. Celebrate what is good, righteous, and just. Condemn evil sinfulness. And I'm just going to leave it at that. You can apply it to whatever politician you want to. We'll leave it at that. Don't sanctify political parties or politicians. Don't make, beware of making ungodly alliances, political alliances with the ungodly. Second, beware and don't make social alliances with the ungodly. Don't make social alliances with the ungodly. Continuing on there in verse 3. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. Now, this principle carries right on over to the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament states it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has the has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness we're not to enter into social alliances with the ungodly we're not to intermarry with them young christians young people listen to me don't date don't marry non-believers don't do it because as the text says, they will draw you away from Christ. They will draw you away from Christ. We see this in the nation of Israel. We see this exemplified in Israel. And let me just go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 11. One of the great kings, upheld as one of the, the godly, most wise kings of, of Israel, yet... He broke this, this law, right? He, he intermarried with unbelievers and they drove, drove him away, drew him away from his allegiance to God. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, this is, there we go. This is King Solomon, talking about King Solomon. Now, King Solomon loved many Many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, for the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, quoting this passage from Deuteronomy, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon, the most wise king of Israel, clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. We won't even touch that today. And his wives turned away his heart. 
For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. They turned his heart away. They divided his allegiance as a young king. As a young king, he wholly followed after the Lord. His allegiance was with God, but then he didn't listen to God's warning. He didn't heed the warning. And he he married other women, women of these foreign nations. And what did they do? They turned his heart from the Lord. They divided his allegiance. And he chased after their other gods instead of devoting himself wholly to the Lord his God. Young Christians, those who are not married yet, listen to me. Do not, do not, do not date or marry a non believer. Because I'm going to tell you, dating and marriage is not an effective evangelism strategy. It's not. I've seen it time and time again. A young lady begins to date a young man who is a non-believer. She was raised in church, right? She was raised in church, but this guy, he's a non-believer. And they start dating, and before you know it, they fall in love. And he asks her to marry him. And her parents say, don't do it. Don't do it. He's, a, he's not a believer. Don't marry this guy. He's an unbeliever. Her pastor tells her, don't do it. Don't marry him. He's an unbeliever. He'll pull you away. Don't do it. And she doesn't listen. Oh, but he says when we're married, he'll start going to church with me. What happens? They get married. And he never comes to church. In fact, what eventually happens is that young lady begins to miss church, begins to get drawn away. She begins to sleep in on Sunday with her husband, and before you know it, she is no longer in church. Instead of winning him to the Lord through marriage, which is not an effective evangelism strategy, he draws her away from the Lord. That's the way it happens. Nine times out of ten, that's the way it happens. So listen to me, young folks. Be careful who you date. Be careful who you marry. Are they a believer? If not, share the gospel with them. Invite them to church. But don't start dating them. And certainly don't marry them. Because they will only draw you away from God. Now what if you are married? What if you are married? I mean, if you're married, you find yourself in that situation and you're married to an unbeliever, what do you do then? Well, the New Testament gives us guidance here as well. You stay married. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. To the rest I say, not... I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. 
If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by, because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now listen to this. Wife, who do you know? How do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? So Scripture tells us if you find yourself in that situation, uh, you stay married and you pray for your spouse. You witness to your spouse. You love your spouse with the love of Jesus Christ. You pray that God would convert them and change their heart and transform them. And who knows, maybe that relationship will come about. Maybe they will come to know Jesus. So if you're already in that shape, no, divorce is not the right thing to do. You stay married. But don't allow that person to draw you away. Keep your commitment to Christ. Stay faithful to Christ. Pray, love, witness. But if you're not married, if you're not married, and I emphasize this because it happens over and over and over again. If you're not married, do not marry an unbeliever. They will pull you away. Beware of social alliances that might corrupt your allegiance to God and hinder your relationship with God. So be, beware of political and social alliances with the ungodly third beware of making religious alliances with the ungodly beware of religious alliances with the ungodly look at verse 5 verse 5 of our text there but thus shall you deal with them you shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. So now Moses shifts to the religious relationship, the re religious alliance. As they go into these pagan nations, what are they to do? They're to destroy all of those pagan altars. They're to destroy all of those signs of those religions in the land of Israel. Now again, we're not the nation of Israel going in to conquer a land. We don't mow over mosques or, or Buddhist temples or anything like that. Right? We're called to love our enemy just as Christ God in Christ has loved us. We're to love them and pray for them. But we're, to not, we're not to make religious alliances with them. We love them. We care for them. We share with them the Gospel because we want them to come to faith in the one true God. We want them to experience salvation in Jesus Christ, the only way to God. But we're careful not to make alliances with other religions. But this is the big push today, right? Synergism. To, to have this, this combined world religion today. Let's just all coexist. You've all seen the bumper sticker, right? Coexist. Now, if, in, if by coexist, it, it simply meant to live in peace with other religions. 
not to be at war with other religions when okay that's good right we can do that we can live in peace with them as long as we can still share the gospel with them we can live at peace with other religions we should do that but that's not the meaning of that bumper sticker right that bumper sticker has in mind to coexist to 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 take on to accept to affirm other religions because there's this mindset that all religions ultimately lead to the same place. That all religions have this one same concept in mind. They all lead to the same place. So we should just embrace every religion. And if you want to worship Muhammad, then you worship Muhammad. And if you want to worship Buddha, then you worship Buddha. If you want to worship Krishna, then you worship Krishna. And if you want to worship Christ, you worship Christ. Because they're all going to the same place. We should coexist as one universal religion. No. Absolutely, positively not. We love the Buddhist. We love the all the other religions, right? Hindu, Islam. We love them. And we want them to know the one true way of salvation. We want them to know Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear. God's Word is clear. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Christianity is exclusive. There is no other God. There's no other way of salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. We cannot, we cannot accept and validate other religions as authentic ways to get to God because Scripture says there is no other way. We love them. And we share the Gospel with them because we want them to know Jesus and come to salvation in Him. So no, we cannot make alliances with Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus or some kind of sense of world harmony and peace, all-inclusivism. We can live at peace, but we maintain the exclusive, exclusivity of the Gospel. There is but one way. One way of salvation. God sent His Son, His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die. That's a pretty serious way. If He sent His Son to die for us, would He send His Son to die for us? If there were other ways? No. No. But God sent His Son to die for us so that through Jesus we might find salvation.
beware, beware of making ungodly alliances with other religious organizations. And quite frankly, we even got to be careful with other denominations these days because some Christian denominations have just gone so far off rails, what they hold to is not the gospel. Beware of religious alliances with the ungodly. Beware of ungodly alliances. James 4, 4 says, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ungodly alliances will corrupt your allegiance, your relationship to God. Beware of these alliances. Do not make political, social, or religious alliances with, un, with the ungodly and unbelieving of this world. Now perhaps you're here today and you're an unbeliever. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You've never known the one way of salvation. Well today you can know that way. There's no other name in heaven or, under, or on earth by which you must be saved. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I invite you today. Turn your heart from your sinful lifestyle. Turn away from living in rebellion to God and turn to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him, and He certainly will save you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this Word today, Lord. We thank You that You have given us guidance on how to maintain our allegiance to You. Lord, it's so easy to slip away and slip into these other relationships. Oh Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, we pray that You would strengthen us and help us to see those relationships that threaten our allegiance to you show us those relationships and lord give us guidance on how to deal with those and certainly lord if there's any today who've never trusted in jesus may they look to the way the truth and the life may they look to jesus and discover their way to you. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.